Good morning. It's great to see all you here today. Those joining us online, a special shout out to you. I'm glad you're joining us. It seems like over the last few weeks I've been having the opportunity to meet more and more people who are watching us online. So I just pray that God blesses you and, and, and anoints your, your viewing this morning with his presence. Um, I need to give a plug this morning for this fall series since August is already wrapping up. Um, this fall we're going to do a series from First Peter and I'm excited about it. Um, it, it. For this last year, the year 2022, our, our theme has been identity. And this series from First Peter will really dive deeply into what it means to have identity in Jesus Christ and to follow his ways. We're uh, entitling this series Different, which I think is a really good title. Um, God's people are called uh, to live differently and to interact differently with this world. Um, and so as we've done for many years now, we came up with this accompanying study guide that you can even pick up today if you would like. If you're in a group, your group will hand it out. Um, if you're feeling like, hey, I maybe want to lead a group, uh, you can talk to Pastor Dave Hopewell, and he would be uh, more than happy to get you started on forming a group. But this material is already here, and if you want to jump ahead and pick it up this morning, you can. Um, if you're planning on not doing a group that's doing this, but you still... Uh, want to do it, which we greatly encourage you to do, you still pick it up and go through it individually, go through it with your family, do it as a devotion, whatever, but use it to, uh, to help your, your, your faith mature and grow. Uh, it'll be just very, very, very applicable. Um, there's a reason that we do these spiritual emphasis each fall and try to get on the same page. Uh, it's based on Psalm 133. In Psalm 133, uh, the Lord says, um, how good and pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that came upon Aaron's head, dripped upon his beard, and there upon his robes. And at that place, God said, I pronounce my blessing. So when we get together and do something in unity, uh, we're setting ourselves up to experience the blessings of God. In addition to that, uh, we have a common language going on, common experience. It just becomes a wonderful rallying kind of uh, experience. And so I want to really encourage you, um, dive into some group Use a study guide. Let it just really begin to work in your life. And I, I just pray that God would use it mightily uh, to uh, push Grace Point into this real uh, you know, context of unity. Uh, today we're on message number four from the book of Ruth. And uh, it's really a story of ruin to redemption. Whenever I look at a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible, I personally like to label it. It helps me to kind of remember what it's about. So if I had to do a Ruth overview, in a sense, I would say it's a story of ruined lives to redeem lives. It's, it's a wonderful story, an illustration of what God does in every person. He brings us from ruined lives to redeemed lives. Um, and I... I, I uh, I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ, but I know that before Jesus Christ, my life was a wreck and it was ruined. And when I found Jesus Christ, all things became new and life began to have a different meaning and hue to it that was wonderful. And what we're going to do in the last couple of weeks here in our study of the book of Ruth, we've been in it now for four weeks, like I said, is we're just going to kind of look at some of this redemption and what does it entail. And today we're going to see that a big piece of redemption is, is restoration. The one who is redeemed gets back what he formerly or she formerly had and lost in their lives. And so we're going to see this very kind of thing take place in the story as we read it today. Let me catch you up because we're going to go to Ruth 4 today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. But as Ruth 3 ends, we, we read about how 
uh, Ruth went to uh, Boaz and asked him to be a kinsman redeemer for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz gladly says, yes, I will do this. But he says, there's one who's a closer relative to you than I am, and that person has to get the first shot. If he says no, basically, then I will do it. That's a super concise summary of of Ruth chapter 3. So now let's jump into Ruth chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 12 uh, this morning. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That's her husband who had passed away. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. Kilian and Melon are the two sons of Naomi and Elimelech, who also perished or died in Moab. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Melon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Israel. And out of them came the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, just so you know what he's talking about here. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Now the book of Ruth opens with this story of Elimelech and Naomi leaving Israel because of a famine, going to the neighboring uh, place of Moab, taking their two sons, Malon and Kilian, with them uh, for a better life. Once they get there, Elimelech immediately dies. That's sad. So Naomi's now a widow. Her two sons marry local Moabite women, one being Ruth. Then they die after 10 years. It's just a story of ruin. And so Ruth stays loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they return back to Israel once they hear things are going well there. And they just come back, two devastated women. And um, they went out empty. Well, Naomi went out full, and she returned empty. And the book of Ruth is just a story of ruin to redemption. And today, as we read, we see redemption involves restoration. Boaz is going to restore them back to this place that they once had. That's part of the package of redemption. So our big thought for the message this morning is this. God restores 
what looks like it's beyond restoration. In fact, that's a big story of the Bible. God restores what looks like it's beyond restoration. I got hung up on a part of this story today that I'm going to share with you um, because it's so striking and so interesting. Even in the blessing that's pronounced over Boaz and the referral back to some former people and groups in Israel, they're groups that were so broken and so ruined, and yet God restored them. And I find it especially fascinating that he refers back to Judah and Tamar and their child Perez. I mean, that's an interesting story of messed up lives that God evidently restored. Um, I'm going to share that with you. It's found in Genesis uh, chapter 38. So we read there in Genesis 38 that Judah went about getting a wife for his oldest son, Ur. Her name was Tamar. And we're told simply this in the Bible, Ur did wickedly in the sight of God, and God put him to death. So now Tamar is widowed. As is the custom in Israel, Judah said to his second son, Onan, you take Tamar now as your wife so that your brother's name won't perish from the land and you have, you know, children with her. Well, Onan didn't do what was right either by Tamar. And God puts him to death, we're told. So now Tamar has been widowed twice. So Judah says to Tamar, Sheila, my son's too young. You go back to your father, be a widow, and, you know, implying that when Sheila's old enough, then you can have him as your husband. So she does that. Well, a long time passes in, in, in the book of Genesis, I mean, 38, chapter 38 here. And, and um, it's evident that Judah's not going to stay faithful to that promise. And we're told that his wife passes away, so Judah loses his wife, and he decides to go to Timhan to shear a sheep. And Tamar hears about it. And she realizes he's not going to give me Sheila to be my husband. And so she does something that's just so broken. She dresses up as a prostitute and basically says, it seduces Judah, although he's a very willing participant in this, okay? And um, he has nothing to pay her for this, this, uh, this service. I don't know how else to say that. And so he gives her his staff and his seal as kind of, you keep this and then I'll send you a payment. Well, this whole thing takes place and then Judah tries to send her a payment and they can't find her anymore and they even inquire about her, but she's not there and nobody knows about this prostitute. So, you know, uh, he just kind of blows it off and says, well, she can just keep my staff and seal. Well, later on, as the story unfolds, um, Tamar's pregnant and Judah finds out about it and he's really angry. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? Do you see that for a moment? He's really angry angry at his daughter-in-law for being pregnant. And so they bring her out to burn her. And as she's being brought out, she says, hey, I'm pregnant by the man who owns this staff. And the seal is Judah's staff and seal. And he realizes at the moment what he's done. And he says, and to his credit, you're more righteous than me. I didn't keep to my word. I didn't give you Sheila, and I did wrong by you. They have twins. One is Perez. Are you seeing this? And so the elders here 
in the time of Boaz said, may you be like Perez of Tamar and Judah. I don't know where you're at in your lives and I don't know your theology. I just look at this and I'm going, my God is a God of restoration. He takes that which is ugly, that which is tainted by sin, that which has wrong motives, and he redeems it and restores it. And it's a marvelous story. And you're looking at Boaz, and he's working with these two women who have ruined lives, and he's in the process of being part of God's instrument of restoration for them. And the very blessing that's spoken over Boaz is from a story of ruin and destruction and, you know, really brokenness. And it just, to me, goes, wow. Do we see that characteristic of our God? How he restores that which formerly was broken, that which was formerly tainted with sin and so ugly? And I just find it fascinating. I got stuck on there this week. I thought about this a lot. And um, I don't know if you ever get stuck on something. I frequently get stuck on things. And then I begin to think about this. Tamar and Ruth. And I begin to think about Matthew and how Matthew opens up. Now, I don't know if you've read Matthew recently. Uh, it opens up with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And most of the time, people read right through that genealogy because it's just a bunch of names. Every one of those names has a story behind it that's so interesting. There are four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. First one being Tamar. I find that fascinating. That Tamar ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't think she would make it, would you? Second one that ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is Rahab. The harlot from Jericho. The one that took the spies in from Israel as they were spying out the land and hid them. And she then became part of Israel. And by the way, she's the mother of Boaz. Okay, we'll get back to that. Third person, third woman in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's Ruth, a Moabite woman, not even a native Israelite. That was the case with Rahab too, right? Fourth woman in the lineage of Jesus Christ is Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. I think a lot of us know that story of Bathsheba and David, and they had that affair, and they had, and then, and then Bathsheba gets pregnant, and, and then David, trying to cover up their sin, actually has her husband killed in, in, a, in a battle. And I begin to think, God, your standard operating procedure is restoration. You take that which is so utterly broken and so so ruined and you redeem it and you restore. Are you seeing the story? Even in the genealogy, which you just kind of blast through. I, I don't know how you are. I kind of blast through it when I read it. Um, it's, it's just all these stories of, 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 of restoration. Our God specializes in restoration. I'm going to go to our mission statement for a few moments here because this ties right into our mission statement and how God works in the lives of people and what we hope happens here at Grace Point. And I'm going to step down into the dark. The camera people tell me, never do this. Never leave the platform. In fact, Kyle marks out things for me. Stay in this place. It's really difficult for me to be corralled like this. I remember once I had to do um, 
uh, Easter service in Williston. Uh, it was a community service. And they put me behind a podium. And all my congregation that was there, because it was at a Lutheran church, started laughing at me. They thought, that'll never work. And I, had to, I was tethered to it by this cord. So I kept hitting the end of the cord. And kind of, anyway, I'm going down in the dark. So people, before they know Jesus Christ, are in the dark. Right? This is a no-brainer if you know Christ especially. Before you know Christ, you're walking in darkness. You walk according to the ways of the world. Then there's an encounter in, in Christ. There's an encounter of grace. The power of God comes into your life. It is by grace you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And you step into the light of Christ. And you begin to live differently. This happened, friends, to, Naomi, uh, to Ruth. Excuse me, to Ruth. She had an encounter with the God of Israel through her mother-in-law, Naomi. And I'm convinced she stepped from the darkness of her false gods there in Moab. And she began to experience the one true God of Israel. And her life forever changed because the power of God was now unleashed in her. This is the beginning point, not the end point of what God wants you and I to experience. He wants us then to grow in grace, to grow in God's empowerment, to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, not to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And there should be a growing dependency on Jesus Christ. And there should be this expanding expectation that God will do the divine in our life. Now we're becoming people of the light. We're following a different path. And you could see that kind of thing happening in the story of Ruth. Uh, She's embracing the ways of God. She's taking steps of faith. She's growing in grace. And now we get to this third level, and this is our mission statement, where we call this growing in grace. This is some of the stuff that Pastor Aaron was was just referring to as he talked to you about serving here at Grace Point. Growing in grace means I understand that I participate with my God in the redemptive activity of fallen humanity. That God has given me gifts and resources and, and, and you know, talents to, to be part of that process of ministering his grace to other people. We want people to be grace givers, to be participating in the redemptive activity of God. This, friends, is walking in the light. Really understanding what Christianity is all about. Having a bigger view of God. And Aaron read this scripture. I'm going to read it again. First Peter 4.10 is such good scripture. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And that, that, that word gift there, whatever gift you have received... It literally means whatever gift of grace, whatever gift of power, whatever gift of the person of the Holy Spirit that you have received, you should use, you know, to serve others. Because when you do that, you become part of God's way of gracing other, other people in your lives. And the Bible even talks about these gifts of grace that we get, you know, in, in several sections of the New Testament. For instance, in Romans chapter 12, we're told that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get a motivational gift. That's what Romans 12 gifts are frequently called, motivational gifts, because they motivate why you do what you do. And the gifts listed there are seven, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, uh, leadership, and, and, and uh, mercy. And you, when you come to a situation and a person's issues, you can bring your particular bent, your particular gift to bear on that situation. And when you do that, guess what? You're gracing that person 
with the presence and the power of God. And then over in 1 Corinthians 12, there's another gift list called the manifestation gifts. They manifest the power of God. There are gifts like, you know, um, the word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, miracles, and so on. And when these things begin to transpire, they're the wild gifts that get people attention. And sometimes God uses his people to bring these kinds of gifts to bear in a situation. And then there's some ministry gifts listed over in Ephesians 4. These are gifts of people to the church. Apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and all that. They equip God's people for works of service, we're told. And all these different kinds of gifts are part of what God dispenses to his people so you and I don't operate in our own power, but we operate according to the Spirit within us. And then we have resources, we have talents, and all these things add up to, to being equipped to be a grace giver. So what I want to do here for a moment is talk about Boaz, the grace giver, but I want to use that to, for us to ask some key questions. So we see Boaz was a grace giver here, right? He used his resources to restore Ruth and Naomi. God uses people as part of his restoration process. That's my takeaway here. And I want to talk about some grace giver questions with you. Because right away I can see people got going, um, I, I can't do any of this. Take down the wall right now. Just listen to what I'm about to share with you. Being a grace giver is something God has called his people to participate in. And here's some key questions we have to ask. And I think the story of Boaz bears this out here. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll link that in here too. So here's the first question to ask if you want to become a grace giver. Who are my people? Who's my tribe? Who's God laying in my path? Sometimes the opportunity to administer God's grace in its various forms happens in your family, with your friends, with your co-workers. Look, look at Boaz. God brought Ruth to him. Put her in his what? then he just merely had to use his resources, which was a lot of grain to begin with, to bless this girl and to bless the mother-in-law, right? He just had to have the willingness to see Ruth and to see Naomi and to realize these are my people. These are the ones in my path. These are the ones that I can administer uh, grace to through the power and equipping of God. So my first question to you would be, who are your people? Who's God laying on your heart? Could be your children. I always uh, admire Vicky for this character quality. She was telling me the other night how she talked with one of our kids for an hour, like 12 to 1. I, I, I'm done at 10 at night. I don't know, more like 8. But there's a real deep conversation that she had and it was good. She shared some of that. I said, I'm glad you're doing that. Man, praise God. Sometimes we can be a grace giver to our kids, right? Who are your people? Where do you start? In fact, I would say this, parents, you better be grace givers to your kids. Better figure that out. Secondly, what are their problems and pain? Become others-oriented. Ask probing questions, you know, with wisdom and gentleness. Um, Boaz, he saw the pain of these two women, don't you think? Naomi and Ruth. Otherwise, why would he keep saying, here, here's, some, here's six measures of barley. Take it back to your mother-in-law. I mean, she just took an ephat of grain back. You know, I mean, this, this is getting to the point where she's going to have to have ever been to store this grain in, right? He kept supplying the need. 
these women came to him impoverished, ruined, probably hungry, destitute, not knowing what to do. And what is he doing? He's using his resources and he's seeing the pain and the problems and he's just ministering to them. Now, I, I, I think that Boaz, because his mother was Rahab, maybe had a special sensitivity to these women and their issues. I mean, his mom didn't have the greatest background. Perhaps because of that, some sensitivity was built into his life to see the problems and the pain of other people. I want to tell you this. God uses these things in our lives to sensitize us so that when we are restored in Jesus Christ, we then have the empathy to see people's pain and problems and be part of God's restoration process in their life, right? God uses all things for his glory. He uses all things for our good. Anyway, let's go on to point C. How has God provided for you to minister then? You know, what is your gift of the Spirit? If you don't know, take a test and figure out what has God gifted me and maybe begin to understand how to use that gift better and how to minister to other people. What has God given you as resources? Uh, what, what talents has he provided with the, you know, in your life? What kind of resources do you have? Begin to say, God, they're at your disposal. They're, they're available for your use. Once you do that, watch out. Once you say, God, I'm available and these are your resources, people will come into your path. He'll bring it your way. You won't have to go hunting very far. It'll just start happening. That's how God works. So let's go to point number two. Boaz then became the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. This, this book has been working up to this moment. You know, if you've been here for four weeks, it's just been working up to this moment when Boaz would actually just become the kinsman redeemer. That happened today. Let me share once again with you the kinsman redeemer uh, definition. It's a relative who had the resources to purchase a deceased relative's land and marry the dead man's widow in order to maintain the the name of the dead with his property. So, um, I still, I'm just stuck on this, that that Boaz was the son of Rahab. God takes brokenness and he takes destruction and ruin and he just turns it around and uses it for his good. We don't know much about Rahab. She marries a guy named Salmon and I looked it up. There's nothing really known about him. But I think their lives were forever changed. I think God began to write a new story in the life of Rahab and Salmon and I think that translated down into Boaz. What do you think? And then he had that empathy and he saw these two women in this culture and you got to understand Women in that time were, were, were really devalued. But Boaz, this righteous man of God, sees this mother-in-law and this, and this noble daughter-in-law. And he has mercy on them. And he becomes part of God's restoration plans in their lives. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. So God looked at us and he said, I'm going to send a new relative. God in flesh, that's Jesus to redeem us and buy us back from our sin. But he, he buys us back, but he also restores us. So let's define what does restoration mean. It means to return to the original condition. Return to the original condition. Now this is a real simple definition of res- restoration. Return to the original condition, but its implications are absolutely huge. How many of you can really relate to what it was like before sin came into this world? Only Adam and Eve. I think about that sometimes. They got to walk with God in the cool of the garden. They had this face-to-face interaction with God, unfiltered face-to-face interaction with God. That is the original condition to which we are being restored in Jesus Christ, our Savior 
in our Lord. We are on this journey of transformation. We are becoming what we were originally intended to become. And that is a marvelous, marvelous journey. And then God uses our particular gifts and talents, resources, and time in that process as we share with one another. And it's interesting. We're becoming what we're supposed to be becoming. We're helping other people become what they're supposed to become. It's just a, it's just a marvelous, marvelous thing. So I want to ask you a couple of application questions that I'm going to pray over us. When you examine your life, in what ways has God restored it? Are you aware of what God has restored? Is it deeply affecting you? Are you grateful for it? What still needs to be restored? If you're honest and you have a real self-awareness moment, you think, wow, I don't do really well here. What needs to be restored? Secondly, how are you equipped to be a grace giver? To minister with God in the restoration of others' lives. What gifts of the Spirit has he given you? What, what talents you have? What resources do you have? Will you lay them at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, I'm available. God has given you some people. He's put them in your path. You've got to know what the pain and problems are. And then you've got to be saying, I'm willing to use God what you've graced me with to become a grace instrument to other people. So I'm going to end today with a prayer and then we're going to close with a song. So we're going to, I'm going to read this prayer of restoration over you. So would you just bow your head and just receive this prayer of restoration right now? Lord, we read in Joel, the Old Testament book of Joel, how, how you brought the consequence of locusts on your way with the people of Israel. And then you said to them, if you'll rend my hearts, if you'll rend your hearts, you'd restore what the locusts have eaten. This day, Lord, what I feel you're calling us to do is realize the locusts have eaten a lot of things in our lives and we need to rend our heart before you. We turn to you as the only source of life, Lord. We turn to you today as the true God, the creator, the sustainer of all things. We turn to you, Jesus, as our great high priest and the one mediator between God, the Father, and humanity. We trust you and you alone, Jesus, for our salvation and restoration. So we rend our hearts like this for ourselves, Lord. We, we just turn to you. We rend our hearts for our families that we desperately just want to know you, Jesus. We rend our hearts for our, na- our nation and our neighbors and our world, Lord. As Lamentation says, Lord, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return and renew our days as of old. So, Lord, we pray for restoration, that we'd experience a renewing of our spirits. Lord, this rends our heart. It just tears it apart. This is something that's on, our, on us, Lord, and, and we're praying it today. If any are here today feeling distant from you, Lord, for whatever reason, be it sin, be it apathy, be it busyness, be it that they just don't even know you yet, Jesus, I'm going to pray what David prayed in Psalm 51. Have mercy on us, Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions, wash away all our iniquity, and cleanse us from all our sin. Create in us, Lord Jesus, a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Don't cast us from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to each one of us the joy of our salvation. Lord, you say in your word that the joy of our salvation is our strength. May each one here today know that joy of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, as this restoration takes place, we realize that we are to be grace givers to others so that we can teach them about your ways as Psalm 51 says 
and the lost will turn to you. Use us, Lord, to be instruments of grace in this fallen world. For any of us going through challenging times right now, whether it be illness, loss of a loved one, a job, you know, challenge, maybe the challenge of just going back to school, we pray as David did in Psalm 23, would you just lead us beside still waters, Lord? Restore our souls. Guide us in righteousness for your name's sake. Even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not going to fear any evil, Lord, because your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Jesus, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you came to restore us and make us new. The sinful has gone away. The holy has come. We love the new command to love you and to love people, God. We have a new name, beloved son or daughter of God Most High. We are people of new covenant in you. We are a new creation. We have a new attitude. As Revelation 21.5 says, you are making everything new. Bless his prayer restoration and make the words pray to reality we experience in your name, Jesus, and through your blood. Amen.